Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Back. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. A little sleepy, are we? <laughs> oh, did the microphone catch me yawning? It was, I was getting some oxygen in my brain before we started a, uh, a new episode. You know I like to be prepared for these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Preparation's the name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should, we should address that, actually. We got, um, I guess, was it just this morning or yesterday? It was yesterday. I, I didn't get it till this morning. A uh, very long, very critical email of us, uh, most of which I completely disagree with. But, I mildly disagree with some of it. But the guy did hit a nerve in one in one sense yeah. for me. Uh, for the past couple months, um, Tyler and I have both been really busy in our lives, apart from Battleship Pretension. Right. And um, we haven't been doing the research pre-episode that we used to do. Right. We, we kind of have been winging it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we've still gotten positive emails. We've gotten more, probably more positive than negative emails. Oh, yeah, by a substan- substantial margin. I mean, this guy's, this guy's clearly in the minority. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's part of the lunatic fringe, yeah. this guy. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, no, it was a helpful email in that uh, it kind of lit a fire my, under my ass and made me realize... Yeah, I should be putting more uh, prep into the episodes. So we'll start that next week. <laughs> Absolutely. We only got the email yesterday, everybody. Uh, you know, what, what, can, what do you expect from us is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little. And, and I'd say the other thing that's, that uh, struck a chord with me is, uh, is uh, us not staying on topic. Because that's the thing about winging it. Uh there's not much uh, push to stay on topic. Is, I don't think I mean, that's not a new thing. We've never stayed on topic. Like our yeah, first our episode, tangents... we went off and t- we talked about your wedding cake for ten minutes. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but our tangents take a lot longer now. Like uh, to the point that I believe the the episode that he cited <laughs> was the one with uh, with Frank. We talked about where, where to get a good about, breakfast. Yeah, good breakfast in Los Angeles, and I guess anywhere in the country. So, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to try and keep us reined in as far as the tangents go, David. Huh. So don't you worry about that. I got us covered. Okay. That's probably as long as happen. you'll allow me my full range of expression. Yeah. I mean, you got to express yourself. Yeah. Not repress yourself. Not repress yourself. So, uh, that's something we came up with right before we started recording everybody. Uh, we'll, we'll have t-shirts with that on it soon. Sure. And motivational posters. So, uh, David, uh, so what's been going on lately in, uh, in, in Hollywood? In Hollywood? Well, outside of Hollywood, in New York, mm-hmm. John Hughes died. John Hughes. Don't act like you don't know. Okay, yes, I do know, but I'm just saying, you know, it's uh, rather unexpected. He was, ra- he was pretty young. Yeah, he was only 59. 59. And he was, uh, he was the voice of a generation. Not really ours. No. But we'll talk about that in a second, maybe. Yeah. Um, but he still made a lot of movies that I watched when I was in high school. And younger, really. I mean, I saw. Fer- I can't remember when I first saw Ferris Bueller. Uh, yeah, I, a long, I, long time ago. I was kind of late to the John Hughes party. Um, the first film of his that I saw was Home Alone. In the sense, I, he wrote that, but yeah. uh, and then uh, I didn't grow up watching Ferris Bueller. I didn't watch uh, The Breakfast Club or any of those. Um, and then as I got older and I got into high school, I remember my mom said, "You know what movie you'd love." The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. because it's all about hi- high school and how difficult high school is. And I was like, all right. So I watched it, and uh, and it didn't really, you know, I, I appreciated it at the, at the time, but I would never, some people say it's one of their favorite films, and it's never, it, it's never struck me as one of my favorite films. Uh, right. It's Well, maybe it's because you were never a brain, an athlete, a basket case, 
a princess. What's the other one? Criminal. A criminal. You were none of those things. No, I, I, was, I wasn't either. I was friends with uh, with all of those. I would uh-huh. say, uh, not so much the no, eh, yep, yeah, no criminals as well. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, I, I was never one of those. And and just everything about that film seemed like a, a word that I've been u- using a lot lately, uh, just because of things over on uh, on my other uh, website and podcast, more than one lesson dot com, uh, available every Saturday. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, the the word fable has been thrown around a lot. Uh, most recently, I'd say, with the film uh, Crash, where it's it's supposed to represent our reality, but not completely. It's like a slightly heightened version of it. Right. And I that's that's the way I always looked at Breakfast Club, is, yeah. is these characters, it's like, really? Like, one, like the perfect representative of every group, they're all in this room together on the same day? Really? And well, then it's like, well... That's I, why you have a movie. You wouldn't have a movie if that. Didn't I understand that, but that it's just that was one of the things that I just I couldn't get over is that these these characters aren't necessarily real characters; they are in fact representatives, or in, or one could say they are the essence of this group. Uh-huh. And and they they come up with enough specifics, but even the specifics seem fairly broad. And and that, I think that's what bothered me is that uh, is that I'm not really that interested in seeing. Uh, you know the essence of characters so much as I am actual characters. Yeah, and, but uh, you don't. I mean, if you if you make your characters and story too specific, you don't end up being the voice of a generation. You end up being the voice of a few people who right. understand that. I and mean, I, I don't think. I, I mean, I I see as I've gotten older, I've seen the flaws in the Breakfast Club. It's not a perfect film, but right. I still I still love it and really respect it for 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 sort of boldly. Uh, intending on being the film that a film that is a voice of a generation. That's yeah. That's exactly what it was set, setting out to be, and it, it did a good job, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, and that's why the you you talk about how even in, the, in its specifics, it's kind of broad, and that's that's by design. That's so it can appeal to and speak to as many people as possible. And I think maybe that's that's my problem. Maybe it's the uh, <laughs> maybe it's the old instincts kicking in uh, of my hatred of. Uh, of most Christian film is it comes up. It's like, all right, so, uh, what am I going to do? You know what? I think I'm going to make a movie, uh, that's the voice of a generation. Well, I better, I better start writing. Like, it's just like, it's such a, you start with a lofty goal first and then Mm -hmm. you write the characters in order to achieve that goal. And I feel like, well, that may be not, that's not perhaps completely true to these characters. And it feels not necessarily dishonest, but it's. I would compare it to something like uh, every year there's a movie that everyone says, "Oh, this is clearly the movie that was made to, so that it would win Oscars." You know, uh-huh. they knew it going in, and yeah, but some you, of those movies end up being good. They wind up being okay, but not not usually as good as movies that just wanted to tell this specific story and didn't well, I'm not sitting have. over here trying to tell you that the Breakfast Club is the best movie of the 1980s. That's true. well, some people would say it is, but. Uh, I'm I'm not among them. I I'm sorry that I that I'm uh I'm coming down perhaps too hard on it because I think I think the acting is really good. Yeah. Uh, Paul I think, Gleason is Oh awesome. man. Yeah. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. You get the horns. That's, that's something. Yeah. That's my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, you know, it's it is very funny and there's and that's the thing. That's that's to me that's one of the primary reasons uh that the film works as well as it does is the complete commitment of those actors. I mean mm-hmm. everything about uh Bender not Bender from Futurama, no. uh, played by Judd Nelson, yeah. uh, 
is I almost said Judd Hirsch. That'd be a very different film. <laughs> and would so, you watch a movie where Judd Hirsch and Judd Nelson were father and son? How could I not? And then of course, uh, uh, Ashley Judd comes <laughs> in to the into the into the the situation, and so. Um, you know, the the character of Bender can just everything about him is just so kind of over the top, like all of his all of his dialogue and all, you know, all of his posturing. Uh, and the very fact that I view it as posturing is a testament to uh, Judd Nelson, because he actually is a, uh, a, a tough guy, but he's not as tough as he would like to appear. And that's something that the actor brought to it. If you mm-hmm. just look at the at the words on the page you just get kind of this caricature, you know. And I'd say that's that's something about all of these when you when you're writing about the essence of a group or something like that, mm-hmm. uh there's a strong potential for caricature. Um and I think that the actors and probably the specifics of some of the of some of the dialogue um but the, really, the direction goes into that. And the direction goes into that. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm sorry to come down so hard on John Hughes. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails from people. But I mean, he did <clears throat> he did a great job, I think. Well, I think it was sort of a double edged sword for 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 that generation. And I'm just guessing here, the gener- mm-hmm. you know the generation who was in high school in the in the mid to late '80s, um, who saw these movies. It probably was it probably was maybe uh, more striated and and more uh, sort of heavily class based. Mm-hmm. Than their high school really was, yeah. But it still spoke to something. It's you know, it's like you said, elevating some the the truth to 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 sort of highlight it. Yeah. The other side of that though is that people my age went into because of these movies went into high school thinking that's what it was going to be like. That's true. Um, that's true. Which it's not at all. No. You know, I like you talked about. You weren't you weren't a member of any of those groups, and I, I think right. there were very few people in any high school who fit neatly into those groups you know yeah. there are plenty of athletes slash criminals yeah and pl- plenty of brain slash basket cases yeah um but um th- yeah so that's 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 the sort of lasting I- uh, impression of his films but you we're know, just talking was, about the high school films here we're not talking i mean ferris bueller is right, right. it's a high school movie but it's it's a, in the, in that Ferris Bueller is a high schooler, but most of it takes place elsewhere. I'm going to go back on something that I was that I that I said. I was thinking this while you were talking. Um, is that uh, you know from a director? I'm sorry, I was so dismissive of John Hughes as a director because the fact that he does keep the Breakfast Club interesting. I mean, that's basically like a kind of a chamber piece. Granted, mm-hmm. in a school, there's a lot of different rooms you can go into, but. It does take place in one location. They don't really go outside. It's mm-hmm. all indoors, uh, and it's a and it's a relatively quiet film. And the fact that it never really beca- I was never bored by the film certainly. Yeah. And uh, and I was always interested and always engaged by what was what, by what was happening. And uh, the fact that he actually lets us have some. I feel like the principal is is a, a bit of a caricature, but he does give us some behind the scenes between the principal and the janitor mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. The fact that he chose to do that. Uh, I think, uh, from a directorial standpoint, is uh, is a testament to his skill. Is that it takes place in one locale and it never seems like a play or something like mm-hmm. that. So uh, yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll say he's a good director. But I mean, he's also the guy behind Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which, which is yes. one of your favorite movies, as I understand. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. So there you go. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's. Uh, because he he gets a lot of credit for the high school movies that he did, but he was really sort of, uh, 
he was really sort of writing about all of like white suburbia, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. even though, I mean, Plain Sanders Automobiles starts in the city mm-hmm. and has a lot of stuff that takes place in the country, but Steve Martin is a suburbanite and that's, yeah. he takes that where he goes in the rest of the, in the rest of the world in that movie, you know? Um, so, I mean, even, even beyond him being the voice of a gen- generation of high schoolers, yeah. uh, he, he was, he was the voice of, uh, 1980s white suburbia too, <laughs> which yeah. I mean, and it, uh, it seems it seems very that's very uh it, it sounds kind of niche when you say it like 1980s white suburbia yeah. but then again that's a huge portion of the population yeah and it's and I'll I'll even say that he contributes to uh to that niche with Home Alone as well which he mm-hmm. wrote which is about you know a, a ve- clearly a well off uh, midwestern white suburban family mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you know uh, people who who are seemingly untouchable uh that's something that you and i actually discussed long a long time ago when we talked about movies about the suburbs mm-hmm. is that uh some of the more interesting films is all about how these people think that they're really safe uh-huh. and then something comes along that really shakes them up and shows them that no you're not safe even all the way out here yeah and uh and home alone kind of contributes to that granted with hilarious results oh, and sure. uh yeah but uh but it does certainly based on the locale and 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 the the characters of the family uh it does contribute to that absolutely yeah so um yeah i was i was actually kind of sad when i heard that john hughes died although i mean he's sort of um had backed away from making movies right so uh to us you know people who don't know him yeah he had he had made his contribution right so it's not like it's not like we're going to sit here wringing our hands about what you know what might he have had right. to offer because he had already left, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not sad that he's dead. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's you know, I mean, he still is a uh, was a talented guy who uh, died young and and he did make a, a big contribution. But still, I mean, anytime somebody dies young, I mean, it's it's quite sad and mm-hmm. i feel i of course feel for his, his loved ones and, and that sort of thing um and i remember uh, uh, years ago some friends and i were talking about john hughes and kind of had that had a realization it's like he hasn't done anything and who knows how long i don't mm-hmm. remember the last thing he did um r- whether he wrote or directed it. i think the last thing he directed was what curly sue i think you're right actually and then but i think he had written something after that uh but i don't recall what it was and so my friends and I were like, oh, man, you know what? He's due for, like, a triumphant return. Yeah. You know, uh, he's he's kind of been not necessarily stewing. That makes it sound like a, like a bitter thing. But that, you know, he's sat back. He's watched the events of the world unfold. And I'd be fascinated to see what he would what he would do with that with this with the current like political climate or or whatever and just the this the new batch of teenagers or suburbanites or yeah. white people or but i don't you think know. he would have uh, ever come back i think he was yeah i think he's i mean from what i've read about him he seemed like he was a really nice guy yeah and he's a guy who says when uh says he's retiring to spend more time with his family i believe that that's why he's retiring and i think yeah. he was he made you know plenty of money yeah and he had his family and i think he uh, uh i think it's it's good that he 
you know, in uh, not that he could have known that he was going to die young, but right. thank God that he got to spend that time with his family and that's true. I live mean, off the money he'd made easily fifteen years. I mean, that's yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. By all accounts, a, a really nice guy and uh, and. Did a you read that man. thing about the the pen pal? Did you see that? I I didn't read all of it, but oh. I looked at it. It's really interesting. Oh, t- what a tearjerker! If you guys yeah. haven't haven't heard about it, it's been all over the internet, so you probably probably you guys have probably seen it. But this woman wrote a blog about um, how she wrote. John Hughes a fan letter when she was young and got a form letter back and mm-hmm. then wrote him an angry letter about yeah. how she had poured all like this this emotion into her letter yeah how dare he you know send a form letter and then he wrote her back and apologized and they sort of became pen pals for like for years yeah and ended up like talking on the phone and yeah uh, it's it's a really touching story it is and so uh so just in a, in a lot of ways, it's it's unfortunate uh, his his untimely passing. So, uh, but you you said something that makes me want to sort of change the topic okay, before then. we get into the, the the topic of the episode. Okay, um, you talked about what John Hughes would be today or since then, you know, and we talked about how John Hughes is uh, considered the voice of a generation, yeah, uh, of people who were in high school in the mid to late eighties, yeah. Um, who do you think we were talking about this a little bit off the air, yeah, off the air, whatever. Uh, who do you think? Uh, is the voice of our generation in that sense? Who is making movies and TV shows? Uh, I'm I'm leading you in a certain direction here right, by saying right. by including TV shows from '95 to 2000, more or less. Yeah, and and we are we are both uh, 27, correct? I'm 26. You're tw- oh, that's that's right. Uh, okay, well, uh, as far as my generation goes, um, I would <laughs> say, <laughs> that's for you. Um, you know, it's it. When we say the voice of our generation, because uh, somebody wrote in recently and, and was talking about John Hughes and uh, mentioned that uh, he grew up with John Hughes. And I was like, well, I mean, I, that he grew up uh, in the 80s. I remember thinking, like, well, I would grew up in the 80s. Like, well, no, I mean, I was born in 82. So yeah. I wouldn't count that as growing up. I mean, no. I wasn't. I wasn't looking to define myself as a person. Yeah, you didn't you know. come of age in the 1980s. Right. And so. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like for people that are currently in their, like, I'd say mid to late 20s, probably their generation is like 95 to, to 2000, 2002 is, far, is probably about as far as I'd be willing to go. Um, and and so in, in those years, uh, I think you and I... We, we, well, we talked about this before we recorded a little yeah. bit, and we both came up with different Kevins. Yeah, uh, and 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 you talked me out of mine, and I would be inclined to say that you're correct. Uh, I came up with uh, Kevin Smith, um, but he doesn't necessarily. A lot of people in high school discovered him uh-huh. and thought, "Oh man, this is you know." They saw Clerks and they saw uh, Mall Rats and Chasing Amy, and then of course yeah. Dogma. Um, I actually discussed uh, Dogma and the philosophies behind it on uh, another podcast recently called the the new devil's advocate podcast. Um, was that an old devil's advocate podcast? I think so. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a lot of confusion with that name and I didn't look into it. <laughs> so, uh, I just, I just show up where they asked me to, or is there a new devil? Huh? Are they advocating for the new devil? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't told of this. I, you know, I didn't go to church today, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so I like, a lot of a lot of high schoolers kind of discovered Kevin Smith, and I think that's probably where his fan base was for a long time. Yeah, and you can sort of see the. I mean, there's the uh, heavily verbal pop culture reference laden. Right. Um, also, the uh, 
there's not really uh, a dividing line between the crude and the sweet. Right. You know, which is something that we've seen uh, blown up to even larger proportions with Judd Apatow yeah. uh, since then. But, uh, yeah, I think I trumped you with my Kevin. I think you absolutely absolutely did because he wasn't the vo- the voice of a generation, as we say. Um, I think it has to be somebody who's who makes films or television about that specific generation, not just right. somebody that everybody, you know, one could say that, oh, Quentin Tarantino is the voice of a generation because people loved Pulp Fiction in, you mm-hmm. know, those years. And it's like, well, no, I mean, first off, it's just one movie, but also this couldn't be further from high school. Yeah. Uh, and so so the the name you came up with, I think, really fits into what we're talking about, which is who? Kevin Williamson. Kevin Williamson. Let's let's uh, list off some of his credits. Uh, well, Scream. Scream. Which is good. Actually, yeah. very good. I'm a huge fan of Scream. Yeah. We can argue that with some, somebody. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm ready for an argument on that. Um, really? Have you gotten a lot of argument? Yeah, a lot of people uh, write it off. I am... There are certain aspects of it uh, that I... It's not even that I don't care for, uh, but it's just... It's it's a horror movie that becomes a whodunit and then just turns into a suspense. And it's like, oh, it was scarier when it was a straight-up horror movie. Yeah. And now it's turning into this. Like, I didn't care for that, well, but it, even within w- that... Would you rather Kevin Williamson repress himself instead of express himself? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> uh, so, Scream. Okay, go ahead. What else? Um, certainly, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Um, the fa- you, the Faculty. It? The Faculty, yeah. he wrote, which uh, Robert Rodriguez directed. Yeah. Um, and that's another one that I'll go to the mat for and that and I've, have had her do more often than Scream. Oh, The Faculty? I, yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. I like yeah. The Faculty a lot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which I actually am also sort of an advocate <laughs> for, even though it's kind of dumb, but it has when the girl does her exorcist impression. It's really funny. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, Dawson's Creek, which I'm yeah, frankly not all that familiar with. I didn't watch a lot of it, but it's... Yeah. It's like a defining show for for people our age. Again, white suburbanites our age. And I think that the fact that it's a TV show uh, lends it something else because it la- it went for what ten years. Yeah, I think. And so. so the characters were in the same position we were, and we were growing up with them. You know, and so in that sense, uh, <laughs> I believe I've watched two episodes of Dawson's Creek in my life. Uh, both of them. Because I had a girlfriend who liked Dawson's Creek. And so, um, and I think both episodes were written by Mike White. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know he wrote I don't think, I've never seen an episode of Dawson's Creek from beginning oh, to end. Oh, okay. Um, I forget if he wrote them or just directed them. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, so, so I feel like, I feel like uh, we can look at those characters and say, oh, they're a representative of us. But, um, but yeah, with, with Scream, I would say he revolutionized the horror film. Um, and it was directed by Wes Craven, which I think is, you know, a, a good call that yeah. you get an old time horror director, but a completely, a completely new voice. Yeah. You know, and his voice is a big part of why he is the voice of a generation. Right. Cause it's, again, it's a heightened thing. It's not like we all really talk like that. Right. But it, it does reflect the sort of first like, uh, internet age of, yeah. of kids who have, I mean, the pop culture references are, so expansive, you know, and there's and these kids are are uh, more loquacious and uh, more more uh, in in a way more just more well read, more informed at least. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why they, they can make all sorts of obscure references to pop culture references to his, historical references, all this kind of stuff, you right. know, because they're they they're their access to all this information 
has uh, via the internet has given them the ability to reference everything yeah you know and be sort of the the first meta generation i mean Me- yeah meta that's a that's a good word and certainly certainly self-aware i mean like mm-hmm. scream was was the first i don't know if it was the, it was the first but it was certainly one of the first horror movies featuring characters who have seen horror movies you know right and and i feel like that was something that was just completely completely new and something that made it more frightening because if you watch Friday the 13th, for example, mm-hmm. you get people who are just, they're scared out of their minds and they don't know what to do. And then everyone in the theater is like, you should do this. And then what would happen if the people yelling, you should do this, are being terrorized themselves? That, yeah. Well, then all of a sudden that's us, the audience. And it's, oh no, it still doesn't work. You know, yeah. even if I know what to do, I'm still going to get killed because the killer knows what to do. Yeah. That's why Rose McGowan's death and Scream is so terrifying to me because she... Yeah. Does everything she can to get out of the garage, right? You know, and she, she doesn't really lose her head. <laughs> no, I didn't mean it like that. Nice. But, um, I thought you did. No, she doesn't lose her cool. No. Really, you know, she fights back. Yeah, and she still gets her yeah gets her head crushed by the garage door. She sure does. Um, so yeah, if uh, I'd be interested to see what other people have to say about uh, the voice of a generation, and I'd be interested to know because uh, I know we have a lot of uh, younger listeners, so. So I'd say, like, from 2000 to 2005, what, what would be the voice of that generation? Yeah, who's making high school movies and TV shows for them? I'd be, I, should, I should talk to my uh, brother-in-law. He is currently 18. Maybe it's moved to, uh, to TV purely, and it's Josh Schwartz with the, the OC and Gossip Girl. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I do maybe. love me some Gossip Girl, by the way. I know you do. Because um. <laughs> you, like be, you like to know what the kids are into. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so we've been going for a while. We have been. Holy shit! And I really, I still had something else I wanted to talk about. Okay, too. that's fine. Let's talk. Something about else that, that came up. Because speaking of Kevin Williamson, he's doing the show, The Vampire Diaries, and you had said how many vampire shows can there be? Yeah. Because there's a lot of I mean, obviously there's the Twilight series, which is not a TV show, right? But there's the True True Blood, yeah. And there's Vampire Diaries. Am I missing? Am I uh, leaving anything out? Well, I feel like there was a recent Entertainment Weekly, uh, uh, which I haven't. That, I have at home. I haven't read, okay, read through it but yet. But it's it. Uh, you know, it talks about like all the, the the best vampires through history, and and uh, but it also talks about uh, a lot of the vampire uh, characters uh, right that are happening right now, whether it be in film or mm-hmm. television. And I feel like there maybe was another uh, another series, or maybe a series that was starting. Maybe it was this one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember, like, I mean, maybe this is something that we can talk about. Uh, during the next uh, Halloween episode, although we've already kind of talked about vampires in the past, but like, but I just wanted, to, I just want to address um, that to me, the the themes uh, and metaphors that are attached to vampire movies and TV shows and stories in general are so uh, connected to uh, to us and so uh, broad that. Saying how many vampire movies can be can it be is like saying uh, how many love stories can they make. It's because yeah, you can do so much with the vampire, and it speaks so close to to, to our our sort of uh, generally repressed, um, terrified of dying, yeah, uh, you know, um, somewhat selfish society. Yeah, that it's the the ability to be. Um, an unabashedly sexual being who will never die mm-hmm. and does not have to care about any morality and only has to answer to his or her self. Yeah. Uh, 
it's you can do a lot with that. Like that's a very appealing well, subject it, matter. Even to the point that there, you know, you can have somebody who embraces that and somebody who fights against that. Uh-huh. You know, and I feel like that's that's one of the, you know, year uh, over two years ago now. I think not not quite, but just almost two years ago, uh, I talked about one of the things that I like about uh, werewolf films is that uh, almost invariably the person does not like that they are a werewolf uh-huh. and they and they hate it. I mean, you know, and they just want to, many of them, the, their whole goal in life is to just die because they would literally rather be dead than be this animal. Whereas uh, vampire films, you know, they seem to really enjoy it and it's just this very... Uh, yeah, this and there's very, occasionally the whiny Brad Pitt vampire from well, the Vampire. and apparently Twilight as well. Um, oh, which I haven't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, uh, j- as I've mentioned uh, before, Jen... Uh, has read the whole series, the whole book series twice, and has seen the first movie, and uh, just she doesn't care for the movie, uh, but hmm. she's probably going to see all of them, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and it's the 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 appeal because it's the I've I've heard uh, I don't remember where I read this, but uh, somebody referred to Twilight as uh, a- uh, abstinence abstinence vampire, <laughs> where you know he so badly wants to do this, but he refrains. And the more because he's he's in love with this girl and he doesn't as badly as he wants to bite her and make her a vampire. He just he he won't do it. And because he won't do it, she wants it. She wants it. Uh And so it's in that I think there's an interesting an interesting uh, idea. And so, there, yeah, you're right. I mean, at this point, vampire films, it's not even a horror subgenre anymore. Right. It's just I mean, it can be drama or comedy or you know whatever i mean it can really just be anything it's like a cop it's like cop movies you yeah know? at this point cop movies can be silly comedies or you know they can they show up in horror films they show up in suspense films drama adventure really whatever yeah. i mean it's it's almost like a profession at this point <laughs> being a vampire yeah. yeah so so that's i just wanted to make that point about about vampire movies and that I don't I really don't care how prevalent they are. I'm not going to get sick of vampires as long as it's a good movie or story. And, and I didn't actually talk about at Comic-Con I saw the tr- the pilot for Vampire Diaries. Oh, how and, was it? Um if you like Kevin Williamson, you'll probably like it. Okay. Is it is It's it? got Ian Somerhalder in it. Oh, I know who that is. Boone. Boone. He was also in uh who, Rules of Attraction. Yeah, when when he came out when he came out on stage uh uh, at, at the uh, you know at the panel after the screening of the pilot, everyone mm-hmm. was going boon, but it sounded like they were booing him, and it was really <laughs> funny. <laughs> the same thing actually happened during the Mighty Boosh panel when Michael Fielding came out because he plays Naboo, and everyone was going Naboo, and it sounded <laughs> like they were booing him. It was pretty funny. <laughs> happened twice. Or they could have just yelled Boosh, and it still boosh, sounds yeah. Like, yeah. But uh, all right, well we've been going a half hour. Dead. Yeah, well, we don't have that hefty, hefty a topic. <laughs> we, can, we can burn through this pretty quickly. Yeah, sorry, uh, guy who sent that email. <laughs> well, uh, tune in next week. We tune will in be, next we will week. Be prepared. We have not given up on you. Don't give up on us. <laughs> All right, David. What's the topic? Um, well, I'm trying to think where 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 I should how I should lead into it. Let, let's get into it, uh, shall we? Let's talk about uh, trailers. One sheets, posters, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Just general advertising for a movie. Now we talked about. With Stephen Reedy when he was on the show, yeah, we talked about trailer making sort of from their perspective. You yeah. know what what the studios want in the trailer and what the people who are making the trailers are trying to do. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about it, I guess, from an audience perspective. Yeah. How um, how do trailers affect whether or not we want to see a movie? How do they affect 
and posters, but how do they affect the way we feel about a movie before we when we walk into the theater before it starts? Yeah, that that sort of that sort of thing. Yeah, because it's we and and I feel like I'll be rehashing or at least touching on some of the things that we've talked about before. Um, you know, I, I feel like we should have somebody else here uh, because um, you and I don't really have our fingers on the pulse because as i said before i would never have thought transformers would uh do well and now apparently it's like the ninth uh highest grossing <laughs> movie of all time and uh i'm kind of dumb in that way but it's just and of course it from a marketing standpoint it just saturated i mean it was everywhere i mean there's here in los angeles there's billboards there's advertisements on it at bus stops you know Mm -hmm. there are tv trailers there is stuff in magazines there was i mean it just it was just an onslaught of Mm -hmm. publicity uh and i felt like well that and uh, it was also a sequel of another movie so maybe i'll go back to the first transformers which was much the same you know i mean just Mm -hmm. crazy publicity i didn't think it was going to do well uh because i thought like "Ah, people know that michael bay is bad and it's transformers based on toys who cares you know right and then, uh, and then, of course, it winds up being one of the highest grocers of that year, if not the highest. And um, and I was it just uh, publicity. I won't say that it has no effect on me. I certainly won't say that because I feel like it has an effect on everybody, mm-hmm. one way or another. Uh, but I will say that I just, it's just, I don't, I don't really think about it that much. Uh, but then, at the same, at the same time, like. Uh, Roger Ebert just wrote an interesting article discussing the role that, like, publicity versus word of mouth. Hmm. And that word of mouth used to be really uh, crucial. Yeah. And he said that, said that uh, it, for some reason, he does, he's not sure why, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Because as far as word of mouth goes, the Hurt Locker is, is getting more and more uh, press and getting... It's just getting great word of mouth by people who maybe don't really know what it's about. And just you'll hear people talk about it on like message boards and and that sort of thing. But it's just not doing very well. Mm -hmm. It's it's doing better than people expected. But based on the idea of word of mouth, it's not doing as well as some other films that are kind of similar. Whereas, of course, he brings up Transformers, too, and that. The pub- the publicity was enough for them to set records in the first weekend, and that was really all they cared about. Well, that's <clears throat> all they ever cared about anymore. I- I'm repeating myself. I know I've said this on the show before, but they've managed to take word of mouth out of the equation. Mm-hmm. They've made the the publicity build up start early enough and 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 build to the point where it becomes uh, it-, it almost becomes an imperative to a lot of people to see it the first weekend. Mm-hmm. So uh, mo- the movie makes you know. 60% of its gross, that's an exaggeration, but, yeah. you know, it makes a huge portion of its gross in those first three days, and if it's terrible, oh, well, we already got your money. Right. And I feel like uh, this is, I think this is something that we discussed uh, several months ago with Paul Goebel, because uh, it's, it, I, I, I'm even less aware of publicity for, uh, for television shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea why people will tune in to the premiere episode of a, of a TV show. I mean... Because you don't... Because uh, you're like me. You don't watch commercials. No. Because I, I, I DVR TV, so I fast-forward through commercials. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and that's why I usually it's not till the end of like the first season of a show that I find out. Oh, apparently Breaking Bad is really good. Maybe I should give this yeah. a shot. Yeah, you know, and then I'll watch it as it airs in the in the in the following seasons. Um, I don't know. Do you think it's? I think that's probably more word of mouth. Still has probably has more pull in television because it kind of has to because it's something that's ongoing. You can't make a shitty movie or a shitty TV show and just hope that everyone's going to turn in for the premiere and then that's going to be it. It has to keep being good provided of course that the that the network is committed to the show you know I mean, yeah it still has to get good enough numbers right but and that's and that's the that's the the problem is what role does publicity play in those initial numbers because if it doesn't get those because with as you said with movies it's like well everyone doesn't nobody likes it but we already got the money so whatever we're done yeah, We've but done TV our show has to have both. It has yeah. to have enough people who want to watch it right away. Yeah, but it also has to be good enough that people want to watch it next week too. Right, and so that's the, and it has to have you know people behind it that are willing to maybe take a couple of hits ratings wise, or as far as sponsors and, and advertisers and stuff, uh, because they're commit. They're like this is a this is a good show. It's just it just needs to find its audience and and i remember uh gobel when he came o- when he uh, came on the show he said that these days the idea of a show starting out not that great mm-hmm. and then finding an audience and becoming number 1 like seinfeld did yeah that that never happens anymore i mean it has to it has to have that initial bump and to the point that like there are shows that have that initial bump that prove to not be very good at all but because they had that initial that initial spike of interest and and viewership, the network might commit more to it, even if it's tailing off and is just you have never. An example, uh, one of the most notable ones is Samantha Who, which uh, I, I hear that subsequent seasons have actually gotten better, but the first season was never very good. Yeah, uh, but they just they just kept it going, and apparently it's gotten better. But that first season was apparently dismal. Uh, hmm. I mean, it got terrible reviews, but people tuned in to see it because it was, you know, kind of a high concept and it was a, an actress that they were familiar with. And then, but it was still never very good. But the studio, because it did so well initially, they're willing to just keep it going. So yeah. I've been talking for a while. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't don't let that get to you. Okay. Um, it, it does seem like high concept. We're getting off the mark here, but yeah. high concept has to almost has to be there now for a TV yeah. show. Because even like the best TV shows on now, Lost, High Concept, uh, Mad Men, period piece, so that kind of is a yeah. high concept. Breaking Bad is a very high concept, but, yeah. you know. Um, with, with the exception of maybe Friday Night Lights, I don't think there's like a show that I watch regularly that doesn't have some sort of high concept to it. And one could say that the approach that Friday Night Lights takes, which is it's very filmic, it's it mm-hmm. seems very almost documentary-like, uh, one could say that that's the high concept um, because it has a different look and feel than other TV shows have. Um, but I remember there was a show uh, that I think just got that I think got uh, renewed called Southland. Oh, did it get renewed? I, I, never, I so. never watched it. I didn't either because and you know I mean we we talk about the the need for for like a gimmick or a hook, uh, and I feel like I'm I'm one of the people that that might need that because Southland I remember seeing commercials for it and i was like oh that, that looks pretty good but it's just it's a cop show right i've seen cop shows yeah and, and so 
And that was stupid of me to think because some would say that the, the Wire, eh, it's just a cop show, right? Right. And so, uh, so but Southland I'm, does the thing that um, what was the old Jay Moore show that didn't last very long? Action. Action. Yes. Where they uh, they don't they they don't say shoot instead of shit. They just bleep it. That's oh, okay. that's what they did on Action. That's what they do on Southland, apparently. Yeah. But I haven't watched that. It's just what I hear. Yeah. But uh, before we get back to the topic, I want to say. Speaking of Friday Night Lights, it's been renewed for two more seasons, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Yeah. Because uh, as everyone knows, Lost is my favorite show that's currently on air. Yeah. But I think Friday Night Lights is the best show on television. I'll stack mm. it up against Mad Men and Breaking Bad, which are both very good. Yeah. But Friday Night Lights is the best show on television. I gotta get back into it. I think that I think like all the uh, all the episodes are available on Netflix. Watch instantly. So oh, yeah? I need to I need to get back into it. But uh, yeah, I've only seen the first season. And the first couple episodes of the second season, and I, I loved it. I mean, those first couple episodes were a little shaky. But it was a little rocky. It was clearly sort of a, a ploy for viewership. But they, yeah. even the way they dealt with that uh, in the rest of the season is really true to the show. Yeah. Um, but, okay. Uh, let's so get back movies. to the topic, actually, yeah. to, to uh, movies specifically and, and advertising for them. Um, uh, I'm reminded of what you said about Adventureland. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is also, we were just... Um, we just recorded an episode that we had later this week, and then we were hanging out with Matt Champagne, right, friend of the show, and he was talking about how how sort of bitter and turned off he was by Gosford Park, yeah, because the trailers made him think that it was a uh, a murder mystery who done it, which it yeah. technically is, but isn't at all really, right? I mean, <laughs> that's 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 what uh, Robert Altman banked on with almost all of his films like oh dr t and the women oh it's a delightful uh it's like a it's like a chick flick and it's very misogynist one could say <laughs> yeah and so like he, he likes to do that i still that have to bat- people that that impression about dr t and the women has not left people what they still think it's a stupid chick flick and i actually really like dr t and the women uh yeah you and, and i went to see it uh, in the theater together yeah and uh i remember enjoying it quite a bit yeah and you know i'm not the the hugest altman fan i have problems with a lot of his movies right but Gosford Park and Dr. T and the Women are not movies that I have problems with. Yeah. But let's get to what we were talking about. Right. Um, it's it's sort of the same thing. They don't care. The, the people marketing the movie don't care that you're going to be disappointed into it. They got your ass in the seat. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's, so they, they market Adventureland like it's a, <clears throat> you know, like it's another super bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, same director and everything. But yeah. Um, because super bad was successful and people want to see another super bad. It's, it's. It's going to be a little more difficult to market Adventureland as it actually is, which yeah. is a very funny but also very sort of maudlin teen drama. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that you saw it. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Oh, good. I'm glad. It was. I found it sort of difficult to watch, but for personal reasons, mm. because uh, uh, <laughs> sort of the idea that uh, uh, you hate most in others the things you hate about yourself, uh-huh. and I could see if I wasn't a little more self-aware i could be jesse eisenberg in that movie and hmm. he's a sort of pitiable pussy in that movie hmm. and I, so it was really difficult like dude don't do that even though i totally understand where you're coming from don't talk like that <laughs> grow the fuck up a little bit so that was me the whole movie but it was a really good movie yeah it's 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 good stuff and it's absolute i don't know if you if uh so you so now you you like definitely know what i'm talking about the initial the 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 posters or the one sheets, as uh-huh. I've as I've heard them called by you <laughs> earlier today, um, like the poster, the trailer, everything about the TV spots, everything about it focused on the the job. Oh, what a crappy job! And 
you walk in and it winds up being it winds up being be- you know more than you thought it was going to be not less uh-huh. uh but certainly different and uh and I view it as a remarkably touching film but it couldn't be further from what I guess the studio wish it was what they wished it was I mean I don't think they care what it is okay uh, I think they just see oh there's enough it's like Bill Hader being crazy here right. and like we can I never actually saw the trailer. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. But um, whatever they put in the trailer, I can kind of guess probably which parts they put in the trailer. Right. Um, Baseball bat scene, of course. Yeah, as long as they can see um, uh, enough stuff to make a trailer of the kind of movie they think people want to see. Right. I don't think they care what the the movie actually is. They they just okay. care. They just care what. I, I I really think that the idea of the one sheet is the best way to sell a movie to a, a studio. Like, mm. here's what's going to be on the poster. That's true, uh, because when I was interning at uh, the that production company, any time, it, it was a very small production company. Uh, they had some, you know, they've got some, some bigger movies uh, under their belt, but usually what, what would happen is they would f- find an idea or find a script. They would pay for the rights and, and that sort of thing. And then they would then they would uh, have a mock-up poster made. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they would do. And I remember uh, then they would take the poster and just the basic pitch, but the poster was I- imperative. Mm-hmm. They would take it to a larger studio with more money, and then the the poster was the biggest part of the pitch and they would always have something covering the poster right, because they in, unveil it right because invariably it was usually something that people were already kind of aware of and i remember because i'm not saying uh what the production company is i can go ahead and say what what uh the project that they were trying to get going uh the pitch was and i i never saw the official pitch but basically you know you're facing a room full of executives and then you talk about a lone man on another, pl- you know, we open on an alone man on uh, on another planet. It's desolate, you know, and and basically describing this scene. And then you see like a ship or something like that. And he says, he says, th- he goes, and what is this film? And then he, you know, unveils the poster. And it's Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those because it's like, oh, Buck Rogers, awesome. <laughs> I know what that is, but I haven't thought about it in a long time. And now here it is in front of me. And the poster admittedly looked really, really impressive. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it gives, it gives executives, it gives audiences just an instant, uh, visual. I mean, mm-hmm. both to conceivably, ideally the, the story of the film and the tone of the film, mm-hmm. you know, um, I remember one of the best, uh, one of the best posters I've ever seen was there, there have been several posters for it, but there was one for Ratatouille, which was, you know, cause it's a, it's a, not a 3d film, but you know, it's not traditional 2d animation. It's not computer. It's, it's computer animation. It's not uh, just hand drawn or anything, mm-hmm. but the poster they had was very kind of abstract and very 2d and it did not capture the look of the film, but it captured this, the classy essence of that movie. Uh-huh. And, and when I looked at the poster, I thought, like, this is this poster itself is a work of art. Yeah, and and it really gets it captures some of the some of the tone of the film. Yeah, and so that's why I don't understand. So much time goes into posters when you have a shitty poster that's just like the uh, sort of the heads of the 
actors sort of in a row or whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I don't understand. Like, don't you want to sell this movie, you know? Because I, I think one of the greatest posters of the last few years is the 40-year-old virgin. Yeah. Because uh, just him in that goofy shirt with that goofy smile. Yeah. With the sort of sort of uh, bright lighting and everything about it is just... It it, it sort of evokes uh, a high school yearbook photo in a way, you know? But <laughs> yeah. it doesn't come out and say, like, there's a high, high school yearbook, yearbook photo. It just sort of... It evokes so much. And it's such a... And honestly, it's such a... Uh the image has to has to combine with the words it doesn't whether it be the title or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know i don't think they had a tagline on the poster for 40 year old virgin they didn't need it the yeah. title is the 40 year old virgin and as you say there's that guy with that goofy smile it's like i believe that that man is that phrase there's <laughs> right. no question about it yeah. uh, and then with knocked up they just had a goofy looking the similar thing yeah. goofy looking picture of seth rogan with a dumb smile on his face and it said what if this man got you pregnant now yeah. and then it says knocked up and it's just it's very pure you know those those yeah. those posters but uh and then as far as i'm trying to think of like some of the better some of the better posters that i've that i've ever seen um and I feel like perhaps we could talk about this uh, on another episode is it frustrates me when like a, a really good or a memorable poster winds up, they change it and it becomes a terrible DVD cover. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Yeah, the, why couldn't you just use the poster? Yeah. Do you remember the po- the poster for Shattered Glass? I don't know. It showed basically it was very close in. It was half of Hayden Christensen's face and his character wears glasses and it sh- and the glasses are a little bit broken uh-huh. all right and it's steven glass and and it's it's at least memorable the guy's name is glass he's wearing glasses the glasses are are broken one could say they're shattered shattered glass coming soon um it doesn't say all that on the poster oh but then it it gives way to the absolute worst <laughs> the worst dvd cover i have ever ever seen maybe not ever that might have been an exaggeration. But it is pretty bad. It's uh, pretty terrible. Like, they just want to show you who's in the movie. Well, and there's the heads, but then there's also, it looks like Stephen Glass, you see Stephen Glass talking and it, there's like a bunch of microphones in him, like he's giving some kind of press conference, which incidentally he never does. Uh-huh. But then, just in case you didn't know, there's a red circle around him that looks, that's kind of sloppy, like somebody drew yeah. a red circle around him. And I thought like, why are you doing that? Just in case we didn't know who st- who the film was about, it's about this guy. I understand the confusion because there's six heads on this thing uh, of Hank Azaria and Steve yeah. Zahn and Rosario Dawson. But just in case, even though this guy's head is the biggest and separate from the others, let's put a big red circle around it. It's just, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, it seems like a very, um, uh, which side of the brain is the creative one and which side is the non-creative one? I don't remember. All right, never mind. Let's say right-brained is creative. I don't know if that's true. That sounds right to me. Um, that sounds like a very left-brained approach, what you're talking about there. Yeah. It's like, well, if people are going to want to buy or rent this DVD, they're going to want to know who's in it. Yeah. And if they don't know my names, they're going to want to be able to attach a name, a face to the names. So let's put the faces and the names on the cover. Yeah. You know, whereas the right-brained, I think, uh, approach would be, uh, let's, the, the word I keep coming back to is evoke. Let's yeah. evoke something. You yeah. know, that's going to, and that's, to me, that's way more powerful. You yeah. know? I mean, because um, uh, Hank Azaria is cap- perfectly capable of being in a shitty movie. It, <laughs> <laughs> people haven't forgotten Godzilla. <laughs> oh um, man! Oh my gosh! I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Oh jeez. <laughs> but um, but if you have something like like that, 
Um, there was a speaking of hold on. I want to oh, okay. speaking of shattered glasses. Have you seen? There's okay. Tyler Perry's "I Can Do Battle by Myself" is is coming out soon. It's another Medea movie. All right. Yeah. Have you seen the one sheet, the poster for it? No. It's um, it, it's Medea, except it's a, a replication of the Dustin Hoffman Straw Dogs thing with the oh, broken, right. the broken glasses. It's okay. a, it's actually really fucking cool. So it's <laughs> evoking uh, what's I'm sure to be a, a much better film <laughs> that couldn't have anything, and less. probably a film that a lot of Tyler Perry's audience hasn't seen. Right. That's racist, David. I didn't mean it that way at all. <laughs> I think you're racist for implying that's racist. Damn it. I just meant that stupid people haven't seen it. So wait a minute. So which one of us is more racist? You. Mm. But what about that thing that you said uh, off air? <laughs> See, now you're more racist because uh, all I got to do is say it, and that's enough for people to, to believe it. <laughs> People's imaginations are going wild. Right. I, uh, I didn't say anything off air. The, uh, excuse me. The, the current movie of the week is ravenous and that that movie poster was uh is great it's it's the one that i chose as the graphic uh, mm-hmm. on the website so go and take a look at it and it's just the word ravenous in these really uh one can only say vampiric letters yeah uh and just a screaming open mouth oh and yeah i can picture that yeah, yeah. and it's like oh ravenous that's a first off that's a great title yeah, because it's a word that isn't used enough, but people know what it means, and they know that it re- it's it's different than hungry. It's r- freaking ravenous, right? And there's just and there's a mouth. What's gonna What's that mouth gonna eat? That, I don't know. That movie. Uh, I'm glad you put it as a movie of the week because that's a movie that I recommend to people a lot. Yeah. And there's one thing whenever I recommend it to people, I never tell them how funny it is because I yeah. I want them the same way I did to go in not knowing that it's as as disturbing and graphic and violent. Uh, and serious as the movie is, mm. it's hilarious. It There's is so many funny parts. Yeah, but I, now I've just told everyone listening. Uh, that's all right. I already but, mentioned it on the movie of the week. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I I always make sure because I watched it recently with my girlfriend. She'd never seen it before. Yeah, and I made sure to just not tell her that it's hilarious, and she laughed through the whole thing. It's very when, funny. when the when the Indian woman can't find David Arquette. Yeah, and and the and knocks the doctor is like, did you check around outside? No. Well, go check around outside, woman. <laughs> <laughs> I like that everybody has a pretty funny thing in that. Uh-huh. Like just and Neil McDonough's introduction just <laughs> yeah. it shows him as a very they say that he's very serious. And uh, it just cuts to him in a freezing river with a shirt off just screaming. <laughs> like a like a football pa- player psyching himself up. Yeah. Um but uh but and yeah the, and, and Jeremy Davies has the uh, uh I I would very much like some of that bourbon now. And then no one answers him, and he goes, "Bourbon now." <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Davies, he's in Lost. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then if you look, but if you look at the DVD cover of it, eh, yeah, it shows the two actors, Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle. And yeah, it's it, it is it's very it's very frustrating. Now uh, we've been going for a while. What what about uh, trailers? Uh, have have you? Well, ever... here's something I want to talk about. Actually, okay. you, you mentioned Roger Ebert earlier. Okay. And um. Uh, I was recent, somewhat recently reading Roger Ebert's review of Year One. Ah, yes. Uh, and he said that he hadn't seen the trailer because he doesn't watch trailers. Yeah. And, um, and then he went to talk about how he only seen the poster and he thought that uh, Michael Sarah was in drag and that it was a, st- a comedic story of Adam and Eve, which I think is, <laughs> would have been awesome if it had yeah. been. But um, based on that, I, I mean, obviously, I don't get to go to press screenings. I still have to go to regular theaters and right. see trailers there. But I tried to... I've been for a few months now trying to avoid trailers as much as possible. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I can't remember where I was going with that, but that's why I hadn't seen the Adventureland trailer because I just okay. avoided it. The only difference is if it's a trailer for a movie that I know I'm going to see already, yeah. like the, when the Harry Potter uh, in the Half-Blood Prince trailer came out yeah. like a year and a half ago now because it got pushed. Ah, yes. But man, that was an awesome trailer. Well, and I think what's uh, what's interesting because I was I tried to be the, I remember you mentioned that to me a while a while back that uh, you try not to watch trailers mm-hmm. and and I remember thinking like you know that's that's probably a good policy I'm going to try not to watch trailers uh, and then some but sometimes you can't avoid it uh, I would purposely go to movies late that's not true at all I would I, don't <laughs> you always wrong, go I'd, to movies I'd late, still yeah. be late but I wouldn't <laughs> be trying um, I just achieve it. Uh, there is, as as we remember from the the Stephen Reedy episode, there really is an art to trailers. I mean, they can yeah. whether they, whether they they are for a good movie or a bad movie. There are some trailers that can be really wonderful. The recent the recent trailer for uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Oh man, I don't know if that movie is going to be good or. Well, I bad. haven't seen the new. There's a new trailer now. Oh okay. That I haven't seen because I try to avoid trailers, but I right. saw the. Uh, um. Yeah, I saw the the older trailer with the Arcade Fire song, and yeah, it's amazing. It's, I mean, it's it just looks so like so much fun, and it just looks so huge. I mean, and I would say, uh, what's another trailer? Oh, uh, the trailer for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. That one, oh, I love it, I love it because it's just it does such a good job of m- marrying music to the images and just creating uh, a tone that m- it might not. It might not mirror the tone of the film, mm-hmm. but it just. I remember. I remember uh, somebody once said that uh, film criticism uh, is not is not an art, and Robert uh, Roger Ebert said, "Well, <coughs> it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, any kind of writing can be an art, even if it's discussing something else." And in that way, I think a good trailer. Oh, uh, are there are there awards for trailers? There should be. I feel like there, there's got, there's awards for everything. I feel there's got to be awards for yeah. trailers, because, uh, because some of them are just so good in and of themselves. I mean, we, we'll bring up uh, we'll bring up the Resident Evil trailers, which are basic, which are we've, almost which little, we've talked about ad yeah. nauseum in the show. But man, they're right. awesome trailers. But those are those are barely even trailers. They're more just short films. Yeah, in and of themselves. Um, but I will bring up. Uh, to to make reference to what uh, Matt Champagne said to you and me, maybe I shouldn't make reference to things that uh, nobody's heard. But uh, <laughs> you know, he was he wound up being disappointed by uh, a film because Gosford Park, Gosford Park, because uh, the trailer promised something mm-hmm. that the film absolutely was not. Um, yeah, or it was, but not in the way they that the trailer said. I think, and not to denigrate Mad Champagne, but I think a skilled moviegoer should learn how to separate. Uh, right. Um, but I remember the, the trailer for Public Enemies, and I think we said this on the Josh Fadum uh, supplement recently. Well, that's another one I haven't seen, so. Okay. Uh, the Public Enemies trailer is, I, my concern, because it, it plays up the, the playful, uh, almost movie star nature of John Dillinger, mm-hmm. and the fact that he... Uh, you know, really kind of liked the publicity and was just kind of this fun guy and kind of a folk hero at the time. And and the trailer seems to take its cues from that. And my concern, uh, based entirely on the trailer, was, oh, geez, I hope, I hope this film doesn't 
portray him as an actual hero. I understand if he's viewed that way at the time, mm-hmm. and maybe you can reflect that a little bit. But this is a man who did kill people, uh, cops and innocents, and uh, I really hope it doesn't portray him as a good person or fun or delightful. There yeah. might, he might be charismatic. That's fine. Uh, I was really concerned. Well, then I saw the movie. I saw the movie this past week, mm-hmm. and I almost wish it was that. Oh. <laughs> because it is just the film itself is just so dry. Really? And and first off, and it's its attitude towards violence is my favorite thing about it. Uh because it's very mature in mm-hmm. the way that it depicts the violence uh in the sense that it's terrible. I mean, you certainly don't like it when when a cop gets killed or or even when a when a criminal gets killed. Um but but the the it really clearly the, there are very few moments where you get a really, uh, a really fun-loving performance from Johnny Depp. He, his, his performance is fine, but just the way that the character is written and the way that he's been directed uh, to play the character, you don't get a lot of really charismatic moments. And clearly, you probably had just enough for the trailer <laughs> to fool us uh, into thinking that this movie was way more fun or at least interesting or exciting i'm fine with a film being exciting if it's about a criminal but as long as it's not necessarily glamorizing but it's 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 not it's none of those i mean Uh it's just but at the same time when when watching the film i remember thinking well how would i have made this i mean if i wanted the trailer to really reflect the tone of the film the trailer would probably have had no dialogue and would have been just shown uh shots of people walking (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't hate Public Enemies or anything, but uh, it's just a film that uh, just a squandered potential. But the trailer, I, like, ultimately, the things that I worried about, oh, man, I would have taken those any day of the week as opposed <laughs> to what it was. Um, but yeah, I think I've learned to be, you know, to understand when a trailer is just showing you the only good parts of the movie or the only cool parts. Cause I remember yeah. uh, every time, and I, I don't know, I ended up seeing this trailer a lot. I was, at a, I was seeing a lot of dumb movies apparently at the time, but the Wolverine origins or X-Men origins, Wolverine trailer, you know, it had uh Hugh Jackman jumping onto a helicopter. Yeah. It had Liev Schreiber running along the ground, like, a, like some sort of jungle cat and yeah. it had Danny Houston. And I was like, Oh, this, this is a very fun trailer. <laughs> uh, I know this movie's going to suck, but I'd watch that trailer again. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> absolutely. Let's watch that again. Yeah. How about this? I'll watch the trailer as long for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, as long as the movie is. I'll watch that the trailer that many times. <laughs> um, and I remember, uh, I forget who it was. I, I, it might be Ebert. It might have been uh, The Onion. I don't recall uh, when the film Mean Girls came out. You, you've seen Mean Girls, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, it's a film I enjoy. But uh, I remember there's a certain scene in it where Lindsay Lohan is walking along, looking really attractive and cool. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, accidentally f- falls into a, headfirst into a trash can and their uh-huh. legs are sticking out. It comes out of nowhere. It's slapstick in a film that doesn't really have a lot of slapstick. Yeah. And it seemed, it really, that moment really sticks out like a sore thumb. And I remember one of the reviews said, but that that scene was absolutely in the trailer. There's no question about it. Uh, and I remember one of the reviews said, huh, I wonder if they shot that solely so they would have something <laughs> something seemingly crazy and goofy and slapsticky to put in the trailer. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder, 
I don't even I don't even wonder. It's not like trailers are a new thing. They've been around forever. Yeah. So, but I wonder how often it happens when a director says, "All right, let's shoot this for the trailer," and all right, we're done. And yeah. It's just and it's something that maybe tonally doesn't fit with the rest of the film. That's the that's the only well, clear know, cut I, example I can think of. I, I think about like <clears throat> here's a movie I'm going to pull out of my ass, but Spy Game. All right then. With, um, Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. Yeah. Um, there's a part, uh, I think it's when they're supposed to be in Tel Aviv or something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I, I actually like that movie. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But, uh, this sort of, um, there's like a, uh, car bomb. It's like a suicide bomber in a truck that drives into a building and, and blows it up. And it's a huge, enormous explosion. Yeah. And it's not like a, it's not necessary for the movie for it to be that big. Yeah. You know? And I think like. Well, uh, you know, you think like, why did the studio okay them spending? Because they clearly had to spend a lot of money to blow up this huge building and and, and large parts of the building on either side of it mm-hmm. as well. You know, why would the studio okay them spending that much money on this small part of the movie? And, I'm, and I, then it occurs to me, oh, that's going to look great in the trailer. Oh yeah, and that's going to that's going to draw gonna, an audience. It's, yeah, it's going to make its money back. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember there's a spoilers. The the movie the score. Okay. Um, now this is this is not this is not going this is not uh, continuing talking about things shot just for the trailer, but uh, but the score. If you were to watch that trailer or really any of the publicity, movie posters, whatever, going back to like Adventureland, uh, you would see like there is no honor among thieves. That was that that was the yeah. the, the, the the tagline. And then the trailer makes it seem like, oh man, they're double. Oh, they they got this this great score, and now they're double crossing each other. The double cross comes like ten minutes before the end. It lasts for about three minutes, uh-huh. and then it's done. And I remember just thinking, and don't get me wrong, I like a lot of the aspects of the preparation for the score, the actual score. That's fine, but it makes me wonder, like, well, what? Why did the studio think that a heist wasn't enough? Yeah. You know, I mean, why didn't they let this be a twist? Because yeah. it kind of is a twist. Well, you just have to look, look at the box office ledgers and see, go a few months beforehand and see some movie that featured double crossing that made a lot of money. And that's, <laughs> that's why that's that's true. That's probably what happened. I feel like right now we're, I mean, we've we've mostly talked about, uh, you know, when a trailer or a publicity campaign is is almost deceptive. Right. Uh, well, we talked about Forty Year Old Virgin. That's, that's true. Great that's example. true. Um, are there any trailers that uh, that you've seen recently that you think like, oh, geez, that looks that looks wonderful? Or is it, or can you literally not turn it off anymore? Do you just, even if a trailer looks good, do you just find yourself thinking like, uh, jury's still out? Or, yeah, I I think you're close. To, you're hitting the mark. Where if I see a trailer that looks good, I'll think that was a good trailer. Okay, you know, and like I said, the Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince trailer was awesome. Yeah, and. Yeah, and I'll bring up uh, where the wild things are again because see, this is—I look at that trailer and I think, man, that looks like that looks like a lot of fun. It looks so—it looks so great. It just looks like such a great cinematic experience. But I—but I knew that it was that it was directed by Spike Jones, which mm-hmm. is a director I, I know that you don't love all the time. Not all but, the time, um, but yeah. And I think my optimism about the film is is linked mostly to that to him as opposed if if it if this was the trailer and then it said a film by brett ratner i'd be like oh that's a good trailer there's no possible way that film's gonna be good (laughs) um much in the same way uh when i saw the trailer for uh match point 
mm-hmm. which is a film I know you don't care for, right? No. Okay. Um, but it certainly is not like other Woody Allen films. Uh-huh. And I remember seeing the trailer, and I think I was thinking like, oh, this uh, this looks interesting. It looks uh, looks unusual. Uh, not unusual, but just looks very somber and yeah, and uh, not a typical. It just looks like a a drama. Yeah. With oh oh some elements of suspense involved uh, that's interesting and it says directed by Woody Allen I'm like what <laughs> that and and that's the thing is they they made that trailer knowing full well we put Woody Allen's name at the end so right. that so that everything they've just that the audience has just seen takes on a whole different layer yeah you know and I would say the same thing a movie I know you hate but uh, Intolerable Cruelty uh-huh. it's the trailer looked terrible and of course the film itself turned out to be not very good some terrible. people love it um and so but i remember the trailer just looked it just looked just awful and then uh, the new a new film by the coen brothers and i thought and instantly i just thought oh all right and i wonder <laughs> if they were if the if the 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 trailer cutters were uh, counting on that it's like yeah, yeah this doesn't look very good but here's what here's how we're gonna get just when people are thinking it's not very good we're gonna hit them with this Filmmakers they know are good, and we're going to trick them. <laughs> we're going to make them forget about the last two minutes, um, because it was a trailer that for it was a bad trailer for a, a bad movie. Yeah, so, but yeah. But anyway, so uh, well, I think we should uh, just about wrap it up. Absolutely, uh, we are of course continuing the uh, the Battleship Pretension top hundred movies of all time. Just to remind everybody, uh, send in. 10 movies to Tyler at com and David at BattleshipPretension.com. Yeah, please, so we can, like, be sure of the tallies and stuff like that. Right. Please send it to both of us. If you've already sent it in and you've only sent it to one of us, go ahead and send it to the other because right. we want to be, sort of have a redundancy. In yeah. The, yeah. So, uh, so send it to both of us. Uh, send in 10 movies that you think absolutely should be on this list. All right? And these are movies, and this is the best all right. It sounds like we've gotten some favorites in there. And uh, no. <laughs> no. That's enough. All right. I happen to be talking to a friend of mine right now. All right. You know who you are. And you know that movie has nowhere, it has no business being on this list. You knock it off. Tyler's talking to me, actually. That's true. Yeah, I'm looking right at movie, David. Big bully. <laughs> I like Big Bully. I don't think you Yeah, you know what? Maybe, you know what? If we were making a top 150. I think really? Big Bully. I don't like Big Bully. I I'd like, say I it's like 140. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, so yeah. And, of course, this can be, these can be short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, these can be silent films, foreign. Uh, it can be really whatever. Just yeah, films. Experimental. Narrative or non-narrative. Right. It's absolutely. Yeah. It could be documentary. It could be right. anything anything you want. Anything that you feel is just one of the absolute best movies of all time, and it absolutely needs to be included. I know we're only giving you ten. It's difficult, but it should be difficult. That's that's how that's, <laughs> that's how this is that's how this film is going to be uh, the the benchmark. You mean this list? This list. I'm sorry. What did I say? You said this film. Oh no, we're, we're not, not making, making a, a movie. Of we're not making a movie about this. Although maybe we should. <laughs> um, it'd be really interesting to me. I wonder where it would fall on the list. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, <laughs> you've, we've given out, given out our email addresses. The be- the website is of course battleshippretension dot com. Yeah, and um, I think we're on Facebook, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we have a Facebook group that I don't really uh, 
do much with. We have a newsletter that you can subscribe you to. You subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Right. That's at The Pretension. Please follow me on Twitter and tell your friends to follow me on Twitter. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Twitter.com slash The Pretension. Uh, Twitter, 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 Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. More than one <laughs> lesson is where you can find me. I have a, another podcast, uh, uh, film criticism from a Christian point of view. More than one lesson dot com. You can read blogs. Uh, you can can you know there's a there's a forum, and uh, you can listen to the show itself. Uh, the most recent episode, uh, we talk about in the loop which is a delightful film. And then next week I have a, I have a guest on and we discussed the hurt locker. So awesome. So yeah. Uh, so until next week, uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.